Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a great privilege for me to come and uh, speak God's word, and specifically, I'm uh, coming on behalf of uh, the Central Africa Baptist College and would like to express our gratitude uh, for the opportunity granted to us. This is uh, CABZ Sunday, that's what we call it. Uh, but your church has been so supportive, and we are very, very grateful. Uh, and I'll just say a few things about the college, um, and then we'll get into uh, God's Word. First of all, I'd like to say that um, uh, the college has been in existence since 2004, and we have had people, even in this church, who have studied there, and uh, they have moved on, and they are doing a lot of things. So from 2004, we have uh, been growing, and... Um, at this time, we are actually in transition. We are changing uh, from a college to a university. So uh, as soon as the accreditation process uh, is complete, which is almost done, uh, we should uh, move over to uh, be a university. So it will be the Central Africa Baptist University. That's a name that has been recommended. Uh, but I would like to say that um, the college basically is um, a theological, or would I say Bible college, and uh, we have two programs that we offer basically at the Central Africa Baptist College. Uh, the, the major programs that we have, the first one is Bible itself, or theology. Um, uh, that we, we offer an undergraduate uh, degree in Bible, and um, anybody who is qualified is invited to come and register with us. Now we offer a degree as well as a diploma. And then we, in, in partnership with uh, Piedmont University uh, in the US, we offer a Master of Arts in, in, in theology. So uh, you can uh, study with us uh, to do a Master of Arts in theology. And, um, in coming days, Lord willing, we shall go up to the doctorate level, but uh, at the moment, that's where we are. Then we have a second program that is uh, primary teaching, teacher's diploma. Uh, that's those that would teach uh, children in uh, kindergarten or would I say primary and and so on. So we have a program that's a diploma, and that diploma is accredited with uh, the Teaching Council of Zambia, but as well the, as the Higher Education Authority. Uh, we're just waiting for accreditation for our degree program in theology, uh, but uh, the diploma in um, education is already approved. But then we have a number of uh, block classes or certificate courses uh, uh, that we offer, various of them, uh, and would encourage you to look at them. I have come with some brochures. I think you'll be able to access them from the, um, the ushers after the service. So please just uh, pass by. They should have some brochures there. And secondly, I have brought some calendars. Uh, so if you, uh, from our college, so if 
would encourage that you pick one, one per family, please. There are not so many. Uh, just pick one and then uh, use it. Uh, we are also requesting if you have anything to support the college, you would, uh, to do with the calendars, you would uh, probably pass on to Mr. Yenga and then he'll be able to pass on to our college. So that's about Central Africa Baptist College uh, and would encourage you to come uh, with us. But like I said, we are so grateful that you have, you have invited us to come and um, because we are a theological uh, college, we have certain values. One of them is to mentor uh, people one-on-one. -on -one. In other words, life up on life. So we hope that um, that is the thing that uh, many churches uh, should take upon. And so to that end, I would invite you to turn with me to uh, First Thessalonians, the passage that was read uh, this morning, uh, earlier on. Uh, I'll read from that passage and um, just draw some thoughts that I think that we need to pay attention to. Now, there are many reasons why I have elected uh, to pick that passage. Uh, as we shall see as I elaborate. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'll just begin reading at um, verse 5. Uh, I'll pick it up from verse 5. Our interest is verse 8, but we'll pick it up from verse 5. And the Bible reads as follows, and I'm reading from the New International Version. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up great God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. I'll read verse 8 again. Uh, and the Bible says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that as we um, look at your word, that you would open the sacred pages that we will be able to uh, see what you have hidden therein, that you might make it plain as your word is expounded and explained that your people will be built up. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you notice that um, uh, those of you who have been Christians for, for some time, uh, for several years at least, you'll notice that uh, in Zambia at, at one time, I, I think, we experienced some kind of an awakening. Uh, and if you ask those people that have been around for many years, uh, you'll notice that the, there's a certain theme that seems to be uh, coming out of their, uh, their mouths. They keep saying, look, there was a time when... Um, Many people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
in their hundreds and in their thousands. But they also say that there was a time when many people who had become Christians were very zealous and very alive and alert towards the things of Christ. In other words, you hear them recounting of how brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so was so zealous to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also had a time, uh, during that same time, Christian people were able to endure a lot of suffering for the cause of Christ. They were, some of them were chased away from their families, others were, uh, you know, disowned and so on. But the, the Christian people continued to live the Christian life. But as you come into the 90s and 2000s and uh, perhaps even now, yes, we do have people getting saved, and there are many of them, actually. Uh, they, they, they are alive to the things of Christ. But one of the things that you will notice is that there are not as many Christian people who are getting saved every day. I might be wrong, but that's what I seem to see. Uh, people are religious. Our country is religious. Uh, uh, just the other day, we were talking about Zambia being declared a Christian nation, and people were even marching and, uh, you know, asserting, no, no, this is a Christian land, and so on. So Zambia is generally a religious country. Uh, and if you say anything else, uh, people begin to react. Uh, and you see that... In many senses, God has been gracious upon this nation. Yes, uh, we are seeing mercy drops in our days, but we know that God is saving his people even in these days. And those that God is saving, he is making them grow and grow and grow into mature Christian people. And, and you know, as I have been reviewing, I've been asking myself this question. Why is it that we have few Christians that are getting saved, or people, few people becoming Christians? But secondly, why is it that we have not as many Christian people, those that have become Christians, who are, seem to be maturing and growing and making an impact in the, in, in the day-to-day lives? Why is it that the Christian people are not as clear, are not as precise, are not as defined as once uh, the Christians were? Well, as I have been reading uh, the book of Thessalonians for, for many years, it's one of my uh, uh, letters. As I came across this passage, it kind of spoke to me, and I want to share that passage with you. Let's go back to that passage again to remind ourselves. Verse 8, and the Bible says uh, from verse, uh, verse 6, we were not looking for praise from men, not from anyone or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. 
Now, um, you notice that the writer is the Apostle Paul as he's writing. He is writing to a church at Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica is in the kind of the northern part of Greece, uh, what is known as Achaia in those times. Uh, it's in the northern part of Greece, so it's in, it's in Europe. And so as Paul is writing about AD 49, between AD 49 and AD 52, uh, one of his earliest letters, uh, scholars tell us, is that he is writing to a Christian people. And these Christian people, it is a church that had been set up by the Apostle Paul. You just need to read Acts 17, verse 1 to 6, there about it gives us the history of his uh, interactions with this church at Thessalonica. Paul had gone to Thessalonica uh, and, and, and he, he discovered that the gospel of Jesus Christ had not been known in that city. And so he, alongside Cyrus, uh, uh, say, shared the gospel or preached the gospel. Uh, and in the midst of the confusion that was there, Paul and Silas and his friends and Timothy had to leave to go to another town, uh, which is Berea and, and, and so on. So as, he, as Paul is going away, as he is leaving because he has been forced, he, he leaves this place because people were not happy with him. He was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the Jews are not happy and they cause confusion in the town. And Paul and Silas are caused to leave that town as they go. Now, as like I've said, as he is going away, his mind is still in Thessalonica. He, as he's moving further and further away on his feet, as he's encountering different people, different cultures, his mind and his heart were still in Thessalonica. And so because of the burden that he has, he sends Timothy to go back and find out how the church was doing. Now, mind you, the apostle uh, preached in uh, Thessalonica for a minimum of three weeks only. And this the scriptures tell us for three Sabbath days. Now, we don't know whether it is three Sabbath days in a consecutive fashion or on three occasions. Uh, some would say, well, it was a longer time, but he's mentioning three Sabbath days. But whatever the case, if it was just three weeks, you can see the lasting impression that he left upon this town. As he goes away, he is anxious. He believes in the perseverance of the saints. He believes in the eternal security of those that have been saved. He believes in the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He knows that God who saves his people is the one who sustains them. He is the one that will keep them to the very end. He knows that very well. But yet he is very, very concerned. And out of his concern, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica for this purpose, to find out whether these people had truly become Christians, and if they were Christians, if they were standing firm, if they were living the Christian life. And so he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and after some months, it would appear to me, uh, uh, Timothy comes back, and in chapter 3, as we see, he begins to give this report, and the report that he gives shows uh, the Apostle Paul that indeed, these people at Thessalonica had become Christians. They had truly become Christian people. And I would like us to observe, firstly, as we uh, come to this uh, consideration of verse 8, is that true 
ministers of the gospel. That's just an overview I'm mentioning. True ministers of the gospel are very, very concerned about the welfare, the salvation, and the growth of those people that they share the gospel to. They're not just like Lone Ranger kind of preachers who just talk and then they disappear or every Sunday they're preaching to you but they have no interest how you're growing. Christian ministers, those who love Jesus Christ will be concerned about Christian people that they have shared the gospel to. But secondly, I would like to say that those Christian people who have genuinely been converted will show evidences and the marks of grace. It is not enough for somebody to say, I am born again. I have believed in Christ. I said the sinner's prayer. I did this, that, and the other. The way I cried, I surely must be a child of God. No, friends, people who are served, people who are regenerated, who show marks of grace, month in, month out, year in, year out, they're growing from one degree to the other. We begin to see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their lives. We begin to see certain graces growing out of them. But I would like to say further, in the third place, that those who are genuinely converted will persevere. Yes, they will. They will grow. They will have difficulty. Sometimes they might even backslide. Sometimes they might grieve God so grievously. But you know what? If the seed of God lives in them, they will come back. They will continue to follow Christ. But when I say that, I'm not implying that a Christian person will live in sin, will continue to live in sin. No, no, friends. A person that is really, really converted will be so concerned about the, the condition of their souls, the condition of their heart, and they want to grow. They will aspire after spiritual milk. They want to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when sin comes, they will keep away from it. Why? Because God... Is at work. But friends, that's not really my, my pulse this morning. My pulse is what we see in verse 8. And I would like to say this, that although Paul was confident in the grace of God, although Paul knew that God could save his people and he would sustain them and he would keep them to the very end, he was nonetheless concerned about their welfare. That's what you'll notice in, in this verse. Let's read it again in case it has not uh, sunk in our minds. Let's read verse 8. He says this. Uh, maybe I'll read from verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Why? Because... 
you had become so dear to us. So I'd like to say this, that as far as Paul is concerned, he knows that the grace of God is at work in their lives. As, we, as I mentioned in chapter 3, Timothy comes and he gives him a debrief. He reports to him and you see, where, where you sent me, where I went back, this is what I found. I found that it is a small company, but it is a persevering company. It is a group of Christian people who are under quite severe trials. They are having a difficult time. But you know what? The love that they have for you, the love they have for God, the love they have for each other is amazing. It is a true love. It is an unconditional love. It is a love that only comes from the Spirit of God. Christian people love other believers. Christian people love God. Christian people love those that serve among them. And so when Paul is saying, look, Timothy has told me this report, and among the many things that he has said, he says there's a clear evidence of God's grace in your hearts. And let's go down memory lane. Paul seems to be saying to the Thessalonians, let's just uh, retract. Let's go back into our history. When we came to you, in, uh, as we read in Acts 17, you notice that as we came, as we were laboring among you, we had the Jews and other people who caused so much trouble for us. And so because of the trouble that we had, we were torn away from you. We had to leave you because it was necessary. But although we went away, our emotions, our affections, our heart was still with you. And this is what he says as he's going back uh, to memory lane. Notice, first of all, when Paul is saying this, when he's, saying, when he's talking about the, the Thessalonians, in verse 6, he's talking about how that when these people had become Christians, he was so careful for them. So careful. He knew that God can save people. He knew that God would keep his people. And yet, as a human being, he took human responsibility. And what does he say in, 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 in verse 7? But we were gentle among you. How were we gentle? Like a mother caring for her little children. Now, the picture that is uh, painted there, in ancient time, they used to have um, mothers who would take care of uh, children who belong to nobility. In other words, uh, you are somebody who is important in society, so you hire uh, more or less a maid or somebody who will look after your children, and they will make sure if your nappy is wet or, or you need some support or some kind of uh, tender loving care, whatever it is, this mother or this person was present to ensure that the child was comfortable, was well fed and well taken care of. But the other picture that perhaps Paul would be uh, communicating here, he's saying, look, our affection for you was that like that of a biological mother. 
a biological mother. What does a biological mother do? They'll do anything and everything under the sun. They'll make sure that their children are comfortable. They'll make sure that their children are safe. They'll make sure that their children are well fed. They're clothed. They're comfortable. They're living on. They're moving on. Mothers will never abandon their children. No, they will not. At least a mother who's thinking properly will never abandon their child. You know, I am almost half a century old now. But, you know, one of the things that amazes me, my mother keeps, you know, treating me like I'm, you know, and I have to say, hey, excuse me, uh, I'm quite an adult, you know, I haven't got evidence, the children, <laughs> and, and, and things like that. But you see, that's a mother, their love, their concern, their affection for their affection for their children is so deep that they will do anything and everything under the sun. We're not talking about fathers yet. <laughs> uh, of course, he talks about fathers. But, you know, imagine there's a truck, or the, uh, God forbid, but imagine one of your children just strays into the road, and you as a mother see your child going into the road. You, father and mother, are standing by the road, and then you see a truck that is coming at high speed, and you can see certain death in your child. What will happen? Chances are, of the two parents who are standing by the roadside, the mother without thinking, okay, I'm not saying without thinking like this, but you know, spontaneously, the mother will just leap and try and protect the child. Why? Because their love is so intertwined into the lives of their children. What about the father? Uh, fathers, don't quote me after this sermon. But uh, uh, chances are, as men, usually we say we think logically. Eh? It's better that one child dies than one child and two adults. So it's better like a shone, eh? And then we'll have another. Now, I'm not saying that's how fathers think all the time, but I'm just giving an example. And so Paul is saying, you see, the way we loved you, when you became Christians, when you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our love, our concern, our hearts were so dug into your heart so much that we could not think of ourselves apart from you. Notice what he says in chapter 2 um, and verse 17. I want you to appreciate what I'm saying. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, notice what he's saying. Physically, he was forced with Silas and others, but his heart and his mind and his thoughts was with them. Now notice what he says. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul would have said, out of sight, out of mind. He would have done that. 
But because he was so concerned about this young Christian people, people who were very fragile, people who were, were just coming out of the woodwork of sin, people who were just making their way out of, uh, what I say, Greek uh, background, Hellenistic kind of culture, which was polytheistic. You know, they believed in many gods and many other cultural things. He is concerned about them. That though we are far away, our hearts are with you. And you know, one thing I've noticed about ladies and mothers in particular, uh, I don't know what's in us as men, you know, even if you're sick, you say, ah, I'm okay. And if you win, eh? <laughs> maybe you're right, take a letter. And if you win, don't worry, you shan't shan. But mothers want to talk. They want to hear your voice. They want to feel that they are discussing and discoursing. And as they're interacting, they're able to sense and be able to say, Oh, my child is not well. He doesn't sound good. He doesn't sound as happy as he ought to be. And he's saying, Although we were torn away, our hearts were with you. And so, when Paul comes to verse, seven, verse 8, this is what he says. He says, uh, verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Mothers are very, very gentle with their children. And sometimes to the extent that they destroy their children without knowing. Well, can I say, can I hear an amen from mothers? Well, well, I'm not so sure about that one. But you know, because we, we are so affectionate and we, we want to protect our children, sometimes we destroy them. And fathers who come with the heavy cocoa mafia, you know? That's the foolishness I don't want. That's what fathers, you know, they're a bit more. But mothers who be very gentle, who be caring, and who ensure that their children are well taken care of. We were gentle among you. Having preached the gospel, now that you have responded to the gospel of God, now that you have become Christians and we are seeing the evidence of God, you have become so precious to us. And so he says in verse 8, and he's continuing that same thought. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God. Now what is Paul saying there? He says we were gentle among you and how do you demonstrate uh, what are some of the things that causes that gentleness? It is because Paul says we loved you so much. Friends, if you love somebody, if you love your child, if you have a living relationship with somebody, out of your love will flow certain behavior patterns, certain activities. Sometimes we even give gifts and so on. And so Paul is saying, we loved you so much. You were so dear to us. 
Our love for you was unconditional. You know, in the Greek, there are different words that I use. There's agape, which is God's love, which is unconditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is God's love, which is not conditioned upon anything. But there is also phileo and eros. Eros is the love that is between a husband and a wife or a male and female. But then phileo is the, the, the friendship that is there among peers and friends and so on. And Paul is saying, we loved you, we cared for you, we held you so dear to us. You are not one of the people in the crowds. No, you are not like one of those people in the post office that we just meet and buy your stamps and you go. Or you pay for a DSTV and you go, you don't even care about the next person. No, friends. You took a certain special place in our hearts. I always give this example. I don't know how your family is, but uh, when we wake up, we've been training our children that when we wake up, uh, one of the first things that we must do if we meet each other in the corridors or whatever it is in the house, you must greet. Good morning, eh? and things like that. But if you just wake up, you don't greet anybody, you, you, you're just doing, you're drinking your tea, whatever it is, and then if somebody says, good morning, how are you? Can't you see that I'm well? Eh? No, 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 that's not the way that you, 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 you behave, no. You, you, you greet each other because there is a relationship. It is so intimate. It is so real. This is my brother. This is my sister. This is my relation. And so Paul is saying, you became so close to us to the extent that if anything happened to you, we would be affected um, in a certain way. So then, when Paul is saying, we loved you so much, he is saying one of the reasons why you became so dear is because we were seeing the evidence of God's grace in your life. We were seeing the love of God. We were seeing love, patience, kindness, gentleness. Although we were among you in a very short time, but we could see the fruit of the Spirit. We loved you so much. And I'm asking the church at Ndola Baptist Church, that's more of an application. Are we concerned about those that are joining us, those that are becoming Christian people? Are we concerned about them? Do we love them unconditionally? You know what happens when somebody who you knew in the world, maybe was somebody who was troublesome, uh, lady or gentleman, uh, you know, and doing all sorts of things, uh, then and shows up at the at church, and then you begin to say, ah, now, oh, why is he here? Why is she here? Is this really genuine? And you know, as, as human beings, we usually want to find out those things. And for many years, we're just talking about how that this person was troublesome. 
And we forget what Paul is saying here. That as they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we love them, we embrace them, we bring them in, we go an extra mile, we walk with them. We love you so much that we were ready to suffer all things. Is there a person in this church? Now I'm using in this church because you, you congregate here or elsewhere. Is there somebody who knows that you look out for them, that you care for them, that you, you do everything to, to do to ensure that they are moving on? Is there somebody that you are building, somebody that you are pouring your heart and your mind and your soul into? We loved you so much. Do we love those that are coming to Jesus Christ? But secondly, I'd like to say, when he's saying, we loved you so much, he, he, he says this in verse 8, we loved you so much, and notice what he says, that we were delighted, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Notice that Paul's strategy as he went to Thessalonica. Here is a town where he's preaching. He has never been there before. He doesn't know anybody. And by all intents and purposes, this is a heathen town. This is a city that knows nothing about Jesus Christ. They know about uh, other gods, Olympus, and so on. So many other deities. And he finds himself at Thessalonica. He, Timothy, and Silas begin to share the gospel of God. Of course, they go into the, the synagogue first and then later on elsewhere. And as they are preaching, some people get converted. Notice what he says. That when we came to Thessalonica, this is what we did. Two things. First of all, we shared the gospel. When we came to Thessalonica in a strange town, we're not known, we don't know anybody, and perhaps they don't even care. They, they maybe have heard about Christ, but they, he's one of those many deities. Just like the way we think about Muhammad and other uh, prophets, so to speak. We, they knew about him, but they did not have a living relationship. So as Paul arrives at Thessalonica, I would like to imagine, in AD 49, it is a town which is, uh, you know, flourishing with trade, it is a highway where traders pass and people are busy going to school, studying uh, Greek literature. They, they, they are motivational speakers. Those that speak into people's lives, they are able to speak so eloquently to the extent that you say, wow, this is great. And today we have something of that Greek thinking in our times, isn't it? We have motivational speakers, even in the pulpits. You know, this is your day. You know, you, you, you know, this is your year of victory. This is your God that's thinking about you. Just claim what you want and it will be yours. 
and they say all sorts of nice things. Now, because and then he says, no, you're going to be blessed this year. You know, blessing that will come to you. We just feel, so in a sense, that's what, that's what Paul is saying, that when we came to Thessalonica, we knew that they were Greek philosophers. They were people who were speaking motivational things. But uh, we made up our minds that would not be like those people. Let's read verse 1 of uh, chapter 2. Notice what he says. I want you to, to see what I'm saying. Now, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. Now notice, for our appeal, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. Now are we trying to trick you? On the contrary, we are men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tastes our hearts. You know, and this is, now he's referring to the motivational speakers in his day, verse 5. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greeds. God is witness. We were not looking for the praise of men, not from you or anyone else. So as Paul is, is coming to Thessalonica, the temptation is to join the bandwagon. The temptation is to begin to say things that are flattering, things that make people feel good about themselves, things that make people's esteem go up through the roof, and then to make people feel nice and good and cozy. And then somewhere, Apostle Moko, Jesus, you know, the gospel. Hey, we're sharing the gospel. Paul says, no. When I came to Thessalonica, I purposed in my mind of the two things that I did. First of all, I shared, or we shared the gospel of God. What gospel did Paul preach? It was very simple. Jesus, the Messiah, came, was born in the world. He lived and he died for your sin and my sin that we should be forgiven of our sins. And he died. And when he died, he rose again. That showed that he, he, you know, he rose for our justification, meaning God had accepted his sacrifice. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And as Paul was pounding the gospel at Thessalonica, he kept on pounding. He kept on saying, friends, in and of ourselves, we are dead in our sins. In and of ourselves, we are sinful. We are separated from God. We cannot please him. Not only are we separated from God, but we are blind and do not have the ability to change ourselves. No, we don't have. False religion tells you and I that, you know, 
uh, human beings, uh, and I think humanities as well, social sciences, they teach us, sorry social scientists, don't, I'm just uh, talking about what scripture says. Uh, you know, they would say, look, human beings are essentially good. You know, what makes somebody bad is just the socialization. You know, if, you, if uh, the things have been through, the way they have been trained, that's what makes them bad. But otherwise, human beings are born pure. They're just like a, you know, a flash which is, that hasn't got anything in it or even a computer. It is only programmers like Mulenga. Is it Mulenga a programmer? You know, as they begin to put a program there, they are the ones who, who make that person bad. But in and of themselves, they're good. And Paul says, no, friends. That's how we are born. That's how our constitution, our minds, our hearts are dead, dead, dead. And so Paul tells him about the depravity of man. That's a theological term that we use. That you and I don't have the ability to change ourselves. I don't know how many have been to the mortuary in this place. Hmm? Mortuary. There are very few people. <laughs> but you know, I've been there a few times. And uh, when somebody dies, the relations, uh, young men and young women, <laughs> notice one day you'll be there also to go and look for those bodies. So when you get into this morgue, I haven't been to the one in Dola, but I think the Lusaka one is the one. You, when you enter this mortuary, they, they are like fridges, right? Eh? And you have to open and check. Sometimes they are labeled. Uh, sometimes you have difficulty to locate the body. But what you do is that when you open the fridge, what do you see? A dead person. And that person is so dead that no matter how much you shout, no matter how much you prick them, they're dead. They cannot respond. And Paul is saying that outside the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are so dead that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. Now imagine... You are the malokula. I haven't heard people, when you ask them, what, what is your, your, your career? What is your ambition? I'm yet to find somebody who says, I want to be a malukula. You know, there are very few. But those malukula, those are the tenders, right? those guys who tend those dead bodies. Imagine you are the malukula, and you are, you are seated there. And then maybe you're checking bodies. Uh, you open this fridge, and then you turn, you open the other one. And then the hand, okay, when the person is dead, the hand is like this, usually. And then when you turn back, Wasanka, what is going to happen? Or you just hear somebody starts coughing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's the last time you'd pass there, isn't it? <laughs> and you know, friends, Paul is saying at Thessalonica, you may not know this, you are dead. 
But then as he's talking about this, he says, but you know, there's this good news that we have. Although we are dead in our sins, there is Jesus. There is Jesus, the Lord, the Savior of the world. He is the one who comes to that dead body and he speaks to that dead body and that body rises and becomes alive to spiritual reality. And as he's speaking to the Thessalonians, he tells them that unless Christ gives you life, unless you turn to Jesus Christ, unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you cannot have life. You must believe in him today, not tomorrow. So friends, when Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, he is saying, I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's read that together. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel. Now when he's saying not only the gospel, he is saying that he preached the gospel. In other words, he preached the gospel first, but secondly, when they became Christians, his strategy, in a sense, changed. Or at least he behaved in a particular way. Notice what he says. We shared not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And friends, I would like to say to us here at Nola uh, Baptist Church, that when Paul is recounting his history and his interactions with the Thessalonian Christian people. He is saying, that short time that I was with you, yes, you heard the gospel very clearly, very, very clearly, to the extent that your lives were transformed. But when they were transformed, apart from sharing the gospel, we shared our lives as well. That's a powerful strategy. In other words, when Paul preached the gospel, these people become Christians. What does he do? He opens up his life. He opens up his innermost being. He, 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 he pours out his emotions. He ensures that these Christian people can come into his life and be able to find respite, to find safety, to find encouragement, to find protection and guidance in the Christian faith. Although we are visiting that city, in that short time that we were with you, remember the gospel first, and then we shared our lives. And when he says he shared his life, it means many things. It implies, first of all, that his life, as I have said earlier, was open, his life was transparent. He, he himself, as the apostle, was very patient. He was welcoming. He was encouraging. He was empowering. He was kind to these people. They were strangers. Perhaps they were even poorer than he was. The outward circumstances did not matter. What mattered was the evidence of God's grace in somebody's life. 
And so we were able to share our lives. Awesome. But notice uh, when he says the manner in which he, he opened his life uh, to them. He says, we were delighted. Notice that word. Eh? We were delighted. In other words, we, 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 we didn't bring you into our lives and begrudgingly and complaining. Ah, you know, the implication of you know, can you fire a little girl around here? Oh, you know, and things like that. Paul did not have those. His heart, his mind, his soul enveloped these Christian people. He loved them. He was very joyous to be associated with these people. He was pleased. He felt privileged that he would share his life with them. He felt so excited that he would be a vessel that God would use to bring in and begin to build these people up. He loved them. That he was ready to share his life as well. Paul, in other words, was not guarded. You know, usually what we have now, especially in these postmodern times when we, you know, we... I don't know if it's education or Western culture, we begin to say, uh, did you make an appointment? You know, you know, this life is very busy. What, what, what? You need to make an appointment. Oh, you know, it's very private. Shopping mall. Not in my life. No, friends. Paul, as he was making tents, as he was walking in the city, as he was doing whatever it was, these people had access to him. He opened his heart. He opened his soul. He was caring. Remember, he's behaving like a mother. A mother. A mother is caring. We were delighted to share our lives also. It means whatever Paul ate, wherever Paul slept, whatever clothes that he wore, perhaps if there were other things, or whatever situation that he found himself in, he was ready to open his life. He did not say, yeah, these days, yeah, no, leave us, some of us, and so on. Oh, why is it on social media, you know? Ah, why is it on social media? Of course, here when we're at church, we won't use that. We'll be using, you know, civilized language. No, no, you know, the Lord, you know, it's very hard and so on. We use very nice language. But you see, out there, these young people who come in our churches, young boys, young girls, young adults, young, whoever they are, if they're young in the faith, they need to be brought in. What does that mean? It means those of us that are older Christians who've been around for many years must demonstrate this love, must demonstrate this concern. And, and I, I have had this concern for many years. Having served in different churches across the country, what I've noticed is 
There's an increasing, would I say, gap or divide between the young people and the older generation. And we used to discuss that with, uh, I think Mulenga would remember that uh, in our office. And Christian people begin to justify. They begin to say, Tababa serious. They don't love God. salvation We may ask those fundamental questions. But have we demonstrated? Have we got into their world? Have we tried to bring them into the kingdom? Have we tried to bring them closer to Jesus Christ? Are we demonstrating? Are we modeling our lives? Can they see the love of Christ in our lives? Can they see the consistency? Can they see the growth? Can they see the, 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 the diligence, the zeal, the sharing of the gospel? Can they see our prayer lives? Is it evident? Can they see our Christian lives out there in our professional lives? You are an accountant. You are a mechanic. You are an engineer. You are a medical doctor. Whatever profession God has put you in, can they see the Christian life demonstrated? You don't have to be in full-time ministry to begin to live like this. No, friends. Christian people, old Christian people, those of us that have been in the faith should be able to bring these people and pour out our hearts into the lives of these people. But secondly, those that have gotten converted, like those, like those at Thessalonica, most likely were willing uh, to, to be mentored, to be helped, and to be guided. Their attitude was such that they wanted to, to learn the ways of God. They wanted to learn the scriptures. Well, friends, I need to be ending soon. We were delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I'm asking this question, friends, here at Ndola Baptist Church. Is there somebody that you are mentoring? Is there somebody that you are speaking into? Usually we think, oh, it's the elders, it is the pastor who must do this. No, friends. It is for every Christian. If you know the grace of God, you must be playing your part. Not 20 years. You're still in your nappies. You're saying, dada, dada, you know, these days we use uh, diapers, eh? Not a material, right? we use diapers, eh? It's sungu. We use uh, diapers, eh? We like a we don't win, right? Not Philippe Mapini Fikalamba. But usually, sitting Christians will, will be like that guy with a big pin. Hey, da, 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 da. 20 years! You are not able to speak something that will build somebody. 20 years! 
You still have even milk teeth. The first few weeks will be excited when you're saying that you have no teeth and what what. But two years down the line, you're still Oh, no, there's a problem here. So all the Christians, you must stand up and make a difference here at Indola Baptist Church. We shared our lives. And you know, friends, when you open your life, you are you're making yourself vulnerable into somebody. But that's what we must do. I'll use an example. Many years ago, I was a young man at, at uh, Lusaka Baptist Church. That's where I grew up. So, uh, you know, we were running around church, doing all sorts of things. Then this couple just came up to me one day and just says, hey, you know, we want you to live with us. I said, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. No. And you know, they had lived in the UK, you know, we would like you to come and live with us. You know, mm. <laughs> so, I said, okay, just come for a few weeks. Uh, my husband is going away, so we want you to, you know, keep out. We want a man in the house, you know, that kind of thing. So now, because I wanted to be, to show that I'm a man, I said, uh, okay, twilight. <laughs> so, I, I, I went there. And I stayed for three weeks. The day the husband arrived, he was just coming in from the airport. I was trying to go out through the other door. Then the wife says, hey, hey, where are you going? We want you to stay with us. I said, mm, what am I going to tell my parents? They said, no, you can go and ask your parents, but we want you to stay with us. The reason why we want you to stay with us is we want you to know, we want you to see how a Christian home is run. But we want to see, we want you to see also that in those difficult moments, how Christians handle things. So we want you to come into our home. Our home. And you know, friends, when I went and told my parents, and you know my mom, in Bemba, you know, she says, So I would say, No, um, they are Christian people. So I said, No, but they are Christian people. They want to me to stay with them for a while. Uh, but I'll be coming. Uh, okay, come here. But I would So I went. And brethren, for three years, three years I stayed in that home. And I can testify, not one day did I feel a stranger. Not one day. And they said to me, we're not going to allow you to go back to your parents. When you're leaving our place, you're going into your own home. Because I was just finishing college and so on. You're going to live in your own home. And so, as I'm writing my exams and, you know, and some people at church are saying, hey, hey that, that guy, why are you keeping him there? But they were committed. They said, look, Billy, don't worry about other people, what people are saying. As far as we are concerned, we see the effort, we see how hard you work, and we see how much you love the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We will not allow you to go. And you know, friends, I still had one course. And then I was offered a job. So I said, ah, I would like to go. Then sat me down. Do you really want to go? You can still remain around and finish. You don't need to go. I said, ah, no, I, I need to go and, you know, I should start out somewhere. And they said, okay, we'll allow you to go. But all these years, you've seen how we have lived. And when we go, when you go out there, do not leave anything less than this. I've never forgotten those words. And as I was leaving, I just thanked God for them. And as soon as I went, they also went back to the UK. You know, it's like, so, why should I fear? But it's true. And you know, friends, when I was there for three years, I could see husband and wife. Sometimes they're not getting on so well. Sometimes relatives of the husband would come against this woman. She's like the worst woman in the world. And she would say to me, Billy, I want you to be in that meeting. As they're greeting me or whatever they're doing, I want you to be there. And friends, I sat in those meetings. It was amazing how that the husband would rise up and defend his wife and say, look, if you insult my wife, you're insulting me. And I said, I was watching. I said, yeah. Zone, I, yeah. You know. Three years. Three years. And you know what? When I left, I was never the same. Never the same. And we ourselves went on to replicate what we learned. And Paul, when Paul is saying that we shared not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, it is very deep, friends. He is saying that we need to be intentional, brethren. We need to ensure that we look out, we seek out somebody and is someone, and we begin to pour out our hearts, our very souls, everything that is within us. We should pass it on to them. And Paul knew that he had Timothy, he had Titus, and Silas. And so as he comes to die in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, which is probably his last letter, as he's seeing death in the face, as he can smell it, that any time he's about to die, he knows that I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the rest. Why was he saying that? Because he knew that after he had left the center stage, there was Timothy, there was Titus, there was Silas who would continue to live. In other words, the body of divinity that was in the heart of Paul had been passed on to the next generation. And friends, we need, we need men and women who are ready to pour out, to pass on to the next generation. It is not enough to say about Shupa. It is not enough to say they are hard to come by. No, friends. Like I said, mothers, mothers, can a tender mother, can a mother forget the child should bear? No. 
Unless that is not your child, you can abdicate your responsibility and abandon. But if it is your child that you bore, friends, you'll be ready to suffer all things for this child. The Bemba say, I can't finish it very well, but it's like the, the Kasembe, if it falls on your foot, what do you do? It injures you, but you pick it and you and you continue. They also say, umwana mwana. Now, of course, you, you can use it in the wrong way. But what they're saying is that whatever it takes, you'll be there for the child. You'll do everything. Are you that kind of person? That's not about this child. You know, in our churches, we can become so informal, so informal, so officious. Not my jacket, you know, my, you know, actually. But we don't talk heart to heart. The young people, when they come to Ndola Baptist Church, they feel the pressure. But were we always driving, all of us? No, we were killing hands, eh? And then over, over the years, the Lord begins to bless us. Those are the things that we need to be passing on to the next generation. We should be saying, Vika Bola Panshi, you know, Maite, take on your fist. You know, let's take baby steps first. You make sure that you drink in Christ. You know the doctrine of Christ. You know Christ Himself. And from there, you begin to do this, that, and the other. Young Christian people need mentors. But not only speaking, but also modeling. In other words, they must see. our talk in action. Some among us, a church were very sanctimonious. You know, in Baptist churches, I don't know about here, but Baptist churches, we, we have, you know, very serious countenance. And when you say, you pray, oh, eternal God, I don't know if it happens here, but you, you know, say very powerful prayers. But our lives are there! Or something else. If you didn't tell me that you're a Christian, I wouldn't have known. We have to my testimonies, in my images, you have those big green flies following our names. And people are saying, ah, no Buna Kenyava. No, friends, young Christian people must see us modeling, living Christian lives. And friends, as I walked away from that home, that's 21 years ago, as I went away to Mongo to work in Mongo, I worked in Mongo for about nine years. And as, as I left that home, I kept saying, Lord, thank you for this couple. And as I was in Mongo working away, you know, it's a, in, a, in a place I'd never been to, I was young, and I was speaking to Zungucha, you know, like some of us, you know, a bit, and, and there was, he kept on checking on me. How are you doing? How are things? We shared our lives as well.
Doctrine is important, and we need to learn it. And I, I get worried that our people are not as deep as they used to be. It is very important. But we need to live out this truth. And how do we live out? Our lives. Well, friends, in the interest of time, I must be coming to a close. Let me just read that verse one more time. One more time. And then give the application and we'll be done. Let's read it together. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Why? Because you had become so dear to us. And by way of application, I'd like to ask just a few questions and which you can answer in your own time as you go home. First of all, how transparent are you? How transparent are you? Is your life an open book? Can people see the Christ? Can young people or whoever they are, older people, young Christians, maybe let me say young Christian, with respect of their age, but young Christians, can they see the Christ in our lives? How transparent are you? I need my space. This is my private life. No, 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 no. There's an electric fence here. Ah, no, 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 no. Every five. No, 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 no. How transparent is your life and my life? And when I'm asking the question by transparency, I'm not talking only about older Christians. Even you who's a young Christian. How transparent is your life? It's very easy to point at other people, but your life will win there. That's what you say. I a Christian. Can you love show that you love Christ? How transparent is your life. Second, how genuine is your love? For other believers. Paul's love was unconditional. He, he, he did not relate with the Thessalonians based on materialistic terms. And I must say this, that materialism is among us. We used to think in Mapentefe and other people, money, come to me, what, what, hey. That's what we used to think. But materialism is here with us. It's bad. And, and, and how do we tell? It's the people that you hang out with. Usually, you, if you're materialistic, you only go for those who have the things that you want or the, the things that you think you can get from them. Materialism. But Paul's love was unconditional, friends. He loved them for who they were. He loved them irrespective and in despite of who they were. He was ready to intermingle with them. But in the last place, now this I'm throwing out as you must think, is how are you modeling the Christian faith? 
are you showing by example? But secondly, in the same question, those of you are young Christian people, are you looking out for mentors and models? Have you identified uncles and aunties, brothers and sisters whom you can imitate and run up to and ask questions and be free to express yourself? What is the manner of your life? Oh, friends, as I come to a close, I would like to pray that God would raise our people in our churches today who are genuinely concerned about the welfare of God's church. Genuinely concerned. And at CABC, one of our philosophy is life on life. We're not content just to teach all those high doctrines, and we must teach them, but we want them to see them in our lives, but also to practice them. Oh, may it be that we might have a model church at Ndola Baptist Church, where people can say, if you go to that church, oh my, these people love each other, these people look out for each other, these people do everything for each other. Oh, may it be that those who come to this place, they may not be saved, but they will know that they have been among God's people. Oh, may it be that those of us that are parents, those of us that are Christian parents, those of us that are Christians, orders who are building other people, when we come to die, we will be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have done my best. I could not have done it any better. Now may your servant depart in peace. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us in ways that bring glory to your name.